Welcome to this week's episode. My name's Sarinda. I am your host and you are listening to The Good Show. Now, I'm continuing my little series on talking to parents in the service who have a developmentally challenged child. I we'd like to know what resources are available to them. How does it affect the family unit? What about the service member? How does it affect the service member when they're going on a deployment knowing fine well that they're leaving behind their spouse to deal with their child? And then what are the resources that are available to the spouse and is there anything extra because the partner's gone on a deployment? So today I'm talking with Hilary Laxon who's based in Atlanta. She's been a military spouse for 23 years and mother to Madeline who has been diagnosed with dyslexia. Hilary, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Now, let me ask you just before I go any further, when was um Madeline diagnosed with dyslexia? She was diagnosed with dyslexia at age 8, but prior to that she was diagnosed with uh ADHD and auditory processing at 6. Wow, okay. You know, I think it's so important that we hear from spouses like yourself that are advocating for change. Because as I'm talking to people, I'm realizing that there has to be some change here and it just things just haven't changed much um, within the military arena. So I want to ask, ask you, um, obviously you got into this because of Maddie, but how did you end up becoming an advocate for active duty kids with dyslexia? So prior to moving to Georgia, we moved to Georgia 2019. Um, prior to that, I wasn't really all that involved with dyslexia. But when we got to Georgia, pretty soon after we were at a new school, they started telling me stuff like, nobody else is dyslexic here. We don't have any other kids like yours. Nobody uses a Chromebook or a computer in the classroom. And Prior to that, I had actually gotten a paralegal degree right after college. So I have a graduate level paralegal degree. Mm -hmm. So then I started calling people I knew, asking them stuff about special education law. And along the way, I just kind of learned special education law, because like most people know in this fight, that if you don't learn what the law is and find the resources, nobody at school is going to help you. So that kind of began the fight. Okay, now that's sad. That's a sad statement in itself when you say nobody at the school is going to help you, Um, especially that's where you're taking a child to feel safe, secure, and get educated. So when you took Maddie to the school and they said, okay, there's nobody there that has dyslexia, what is the first thing that you thought in your mind? That I was in a district with 31,000 kids outside of the largest industrial complex in Georgia where Robbins Air Force Base was. So I was not in a small town. Um, The statistics of dyslexia say that one in five people have dyslexia. So in a population of 30,000 people, there should be somewhere between five and 6,000 people with dyslexia. So what did you have to start doing in order to um, make sure that Maddie got what she needed at school? So from the point that we arrived until we left the district 18 months later, I had 11 IEP meetings. Um, I had six within the first six months that I got there. And every time it was like they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were talking about. Um, And then I met a mom who happened to be a DOD contract attorney on base who had a child with dyslexia and was a lawyer. 
And so she told me some stuff and then I called some other people I knew and that's kind of how I started learning all this stuff. Let me go back to, um, you've had, you know, Maddie's obviously born and now at what point do you realize that, okay, Maddie, do you feel that, okay, you know, Maddie's not learning to read um, or, you know, things are not um, going the way they should be? So dyslexia has passed at a rate of 50% between parent and child. Um, I knew her father had dyslexia and ADHD 10 years ago when they thought they could diagnose dyslexia was not as early as they've now determined they can diagnose it. So I knew I had a problem when she went to her first preschool at two, because pretty soon after she started, they kept telling me she didn't know her colors. She couldn't tie her shoes. She didn't know her letters. She couldn't write her name. And they continued to say stuff like that until about the time she was four. Um, and around four, I hired a tutor to work with her after school because at the time I didn't realize that I could have gone to TRICARE and asked for an evaluation for ADHD and other learning disorders. I didn't also realize that I could have gone to the local district and asked for an evaluation for special ed because clearly something was wrong. She couldn't even write her own name, which was six letters. Yeah. Now, at, at any point, did you think I'm going to go to the doctor? I took her to the doctor and got her diagnosed with uh, ADHD while we still lived in Hawaii. And that was probably four or five. The interesting part about that is most pediatricians and medical doctors don't receive any training on learning disabilities or disorders or education on when you can diagnose it or what resources are available. Even today, 10 years later, most pediatricians you talk to won't tell you correct information. That is totally mind blowing to me right so, you think the people yeah. in pediatrics would learn something about learning disorders yeah i mean it's so even when you uh, took maddie and the doctor said okay she has adhd mm -hmm. um at that point what's given to you like are you given uh, a book resources pamphlets information are you given information as to okay this is your support here this is you know call these people or these groups no, at no time did anybody at the hospital or at my local school tell me anything about my parent rights or that I could have asked for an evaluation. The doctor didn't tell me, maybe you should go see a child psychologist. Nothing. I got nothing. Oh my, that, that, so you don't know, you weren't aware of what kind of testing or services that you could get from TRICARE, even though you'd been to a primary care physician who diagnosed Maddie, um, but there was nobody there still to tell you, okay, now this is what you do. So, I mean, to me, it's kind of like, I'm thinking to myself, trying to put myself in your shoes and I'm in front of the doctor and the doctor goes, okay, Sarinda, your kid's got ADHD. Next. Well, that I is kind of what it's like because the world's perception is everyone has ADHD. Did they, uh, was Maddie given any medication, can I ask? I don't remember anybody ever offering her medication. Okay. I don't think tried that till she was probably like six or seven. Okay. Okay. So what, do you know now what kinds of testing and services TRICARE offers? So 
For dyslexia specifically, it's very nuanced, meaning how you write the order and who you go to determines whether it's going to get approved by TRICARE. It shouldn't be this way, but there's an ongoing yin-yang between whether dyslexia is a medical or educational issue. So that being said, TRICARE does cover testing for ADHD, it covers processing testing, it covers language disorder testing, it co covers auditory processing disorder testing. And the catch-22 about that is that if you ask for a referral for ADHD testing, they cover it. And some of the tests for ADHD also will diagnose dyslexia. But if you turn around and ask TRICARE for an evaluation for dyslexia, they're going to tell you what their website says, which is they don't provide testing or resources for dyslexia. Okay. Again, that to me is... It was ridiculous. Yes, it, it totally is ridiculous. You know, um, especially when you think of it, this is the the, the medical field, you know, uh, you know, so yeah, it that blows my mind totally. So as you've got involved, obviously you have now got quite a large following. You've got a great Facebook page. I was on that Facebook page earlier on. And I, I want to say there's a very um, intriguing fact on there that I wrote down that I want everybody to know. 90% of kids who don't learn to read proficiently in first grade will never catch up. Now, that's terrible. Yeah, and when I posted that, a lot of people got mad because I should say that it is possible to catch up, but in order to catch up, you're required to have explicit instruction designed for somebody who has dyslexia. You won't catch up using general ed curriculum Unless, of course, we chose a general ed curriculum that is for dyslexia and we use it for the whole class. Because the catch-22 is that nobody who is not dyslexic is hurt by having a dyslexic curriculum. But in the alternative, if we teach general ed with a curriculum not designed for someone with dyslexia, they won't learn to read. And so the reason the number is 90% is that you only learn to read in kindergarten, first, second, and third grade. And by the time you get to third grade, you're done. And dyslexia specifically is most commonly diagnosed around eight. Okay. Now, the other interesting thing on that web, on that your Facebook page that I read was um, that this testing that can be done if you think your kid has dyslexia um, has 92% accuracy at age five and a half. So at such an early age, if you can get your kid um, tested, then, you know, um, the earlier the better. Correct. And so with dyslexia, one of the easiest ways to diagnose dyslexia is measuring the kid's phonemic awareness. And that usually if they have deficits in phonemic awareness around four, it's a pretty strong indicator that they have dyslexia. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are finally beginning to think, okay, wow. So this is how it, th this is what's going to be available to me. Cause I'm sure there's parents out there that have had the same response you had about, okay, this is what your kid has. And uh, next, you know, um, I spoke to a couple recently who um, their child, they're both active duty and their child has a several diagnosis um, and, you know, they served over 40 years in the, the military. So back then, you know, Polly was telling me there was no Google. 
She said there was nothing we can go to Google and Google any support groups or anything. She said it's always been very, very difficult um, for active duty and the spouse. You know, just it's 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 a challenge. You know, so it's shocking to me that um, with there being resources available, they're not more freely available to spouses or, or, or people in the military. You know, um, a lot of people don't know about them still today. That's true. I mean, the the nature of Facebook and Google has dramatically changed this fight. That's part mm. of why the dyslexia lobby has had so much success in the last 10 years is primarily from social media and from uh, Google and stuff like that. I yeah. think. No, I'm sorry. Um, no, I think like you were saying with with the Google, you know, be, people being able to research a little more. But going back to the military arena, now what groups within the military community are supporting this fight? So most of the major uh, overhaul of the Exceptional Family Member Program, which is called EFMP, started because in 2020, two moms went around and collected something like 400 written testimonies of active duty parents complaining about the state of the EFMP program and special education directly as it was related to active duty families. So they started a group, one of them started a group called Partners in Promise, which is a 501c3 who was started by Michelle Norman, who has a child in special education and her husband's um, a Navy. Uh, he's in the Navy. He's a pilot. Um, the other one was started by somebody named Austin Carrig, who has a child with Down syndrome and some other things. Her husband was in the Army. And at the time that she testified, I believe he was a master sergeant. So they testified in Congress in front of the uh, subcommittee of um, Armed Forces. And that started a lot of the change that began. And then in 2021, part of the National Defense Authorization Act ordered the DOD to train JAG attorneys on special education to try to deal with this problem. So those two groups have done a lot as far as legislation. Um, Partners of Promise is more focused on legislation and le legislative change versus the other group, which is called Exceptional Family Members of the Military, kind of a play on the EFMP word. Mm -hmm. They're more focused on supporting um, the actual families with actual advocacy and other support service. And then the only other group, which is really interesting, is a group called SEAL Kids, which is a 501c3 who specifically only serves Navy SEAL mm -hmm. kids. It's the only program that I'm aware of within the DOD community that provides advocacy, testing, and other resources in the mm -hmm. form of grants to military members. So if you're an active duty member uh, and you have a child with dyslexia, um, where would you go? Most of that decision would be based on looking at the state law and, and case law in the states. So that would be places like um, Florida. Florida has some pretty good state law. They also have a lot of free charter schools for dyslexia. South Carolina just also got two new charter schools for dyslexia. They don't have as much scholarship funds as Florida. Colorado's probably got the best reading law in the country and also has a lot of charter schools specifically around Colorado Springs, less mm -hmm. around Denver. 
Texas does a pretty good job with dyslexia because they put a dyslexia specialist in every single school in their districts. Um, and now, wouldn't that be great if that wasn't just a state law, if that was just nationwide that you have to have somebody who, um, you know, at the school who specializes in this? Yeah, and a lot of states have done a similar thing, but it is not a national law, and that gets into the gritty law of um, states control education versus mm -hmm. the federal government is like the oversight, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I guess, you know, as parents, um, as moms, you kind of like think, well, you know, I don't, um, this is my kid and this is what my kid needs. So we're foggy on the law, 99% of us, because we don't know what the, the law is, you know. Um, and you just think, I, I just need my kid to, to get this education in the way that she or he will receive it that will benefit them. So, you know, it seems to be a lot of red tape, I guess. Oh, for sure. You know? And that goes back to, you know, when they passed this um, Every Handicapped Child Act, which was the first special educational law in the United States mm -hmm. in 1974. Since 1974, we've never fully funded the IDEA Act, which is what it's called now. So part of the problem is that the federal government does not give the state enough money to mm -hmm. provide the services they're dealing with you know a number under 40 percent depending on funding every year to try to take care of kids with ieps that's the real problem so it's it's left up to to parents like yourself that are advocating for change to to keep you know marching forward and just seeing if you know things can change you know it's um you think with all the stats and the data and the studies that are out there that um, you wouldn't have to fight so hard because it'd be well, in Georgia specifically, Georgia's like in the top five as far as active duty population. About five years ago, they passed SB 48, which was the dyslexia law. Mm -hmm. And since then, it's taken us about five years to get change. And every year, we just keep going back asking for more and more. And now this year we passed two reading laws on the state level and next fall, every kid from kindergarten through third grade will be screened three times a year for dyslexia. Wow. But none of that would have happened without yeah. a bunch of annoying parents. Yep. Um, in particular, Tina Omberg is a mom who sat at the board of education meeting every year for every month for probably three or four years now so that they didn't forget about her. And she wow. sat there every month to make sure that this kind of stuff happened. So it's just because of the amount of parents screaming at the senators and the legislators and uh -huh. the DOE about how bad it is that change has happened. Now, legally, what um, legal services are available to the active duty when it comes to this kind of situation? So back in 2021, the National Defense Authorization Act said that the DOD had to train their JAG attorneys on special education. So that would be all the armed services except the Coast Guard, who's not part of the DOD. Mm -hmm. um, that means that if you are a parent in any of the 50 states and you want help, you go to your local JAG office and ask for help with special education. Not every office has somebody who's specifically been trained in special education law. 
they might have to reach out to somebody else and get them to help you doing a consult or whatever. The Navy chose to create a JAG pilot program and hired two civilian special education attorneys. So instead of training JAG attorneys, they decided to go ahead and hire somebody who was already trained. Mm -hmm. So there's one in San Diego and there's one in Norfolk. And then the Marines have actually had a very good um, exceptional family member program for 10 plus years and they now employ a total of three special education attorneys they're also not jag attorneys so they had two and they just took on a third one okay well it's it's a relief to hear that there's you know some legal um services available to service members if they need to go um you know to speak to somebody now Let's go to your website and your Facebook page, because, again, you know, when I was reading it earlier on, another another stat that shocked me is that one in five kids have dyslexia. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's quite shocking to me, again, because I just think that's a lot. Well, and if you take that figure further... Of all the kids in special education in the country, 42% of them are served under an IEP eligibility category called specific learning disability. So specific learning disability is a broad term that includes the word dyslexia. Let's let's talk about IEP, right? Um, what is an IEP? So the I in IEP is individual. So it's an individual education plan. It usually means, or your child has to have a eligibility um, criteria factor like dyslexia, ADHD, autism, something like that. And then they have to have an educational impact. And that educational impact can be communication, it could be social, emotional, or it can be academic. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be failing in order to get an IEP. Who gives you the IEP? Your local school district. Okay, so the school district, uh, district um, does the test. Is the parent aware of the test? Yeah, so in every state, you have to provide consent in order for your child to be evaluated. So the way you start the process is you download like a sample letter from a bunch of different websites that I could list. And then you send it to the director of special ed and the principal for your school. And it's a request for an evaluation for special ed. And if you're found eligible, then they write an IEP. And the federal guideline for that is 90 days total. The IEP is valid for 90 days total? No, the amount of time they have to evaluate you oh. is 60 days under federal law and then okay. 30 more days to write the IEP. An IEP is technically valid for three years, but the catch is they don't actually expire. Oh, okay. okay. So the reevaluation under the law makes them reevaluate every three years, but it doesn't expire. A lot of people get told their IEP is expired, but it's not really. Okay. Um, now, prior to being in Atlanta, you were in uh, California. Um, I noticed you didn't mention California is one of those states um, earlier on. <laughs> California is one of the last eight states in the country without a dyslexia screening law. So they just this year passed a screening law. And part of the reason they couldn't get one through is because the teacher union didn't want to have it. 
the irony is the governor of of California, um, Gavin Newsom, is dyslexic and has actually written a book on dyslexia. And it's taken him this long into his governorship to get a law passed. <laughs> so no, I don't recommend people go to California <laughs> because the state law is very weak on dyslexia and there's not a lot of schools for private schools. You know, because education was started on the East Coast because of the way this country was started, uh-huh. most of the specialty schools, a large volume of them are on the East Coast. Like in San Diego, there's only one school that specifically serves dyslexic students. Wow. When you think, and again, the population of San Diego, um, and there's only one school. Well, and this is why I live in Atlanta and I did not come back to San Diego after my ex-husband retired is because at the high school level, there is no school in San Diego for someone with dyslexia. Again, shocking, um, shocking to me. All of this is quite shocking to me, to be honest with you, Um, especially when we're talking about kids and, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, the kids are our future and we're invested in our kids and then we're, we're having an issue just um, getting laws passed that kids as young as, you know, five and a half should be tested and, you know, for dyslexia if, if there are problems, you know, so we can get them on the right track. So this has been really eye-opening for me. Let me ask you um, before we go, how is Maddie? Maddie will actually graduate high school this year. Had I not been a pain in the ass parent and spent a lot of money on intervention in middle school and later, I, she would not be at the level she is. I, what I did for her was not stuff that I could have ever gotten from a school district. I mean, at one point I had 10 hours a week of one-on-one intervention. So you've obviously had to pay everything out of pocket. Um, None of that will be reimbursed. And I can't even imagine, Hillary, the challenges and the hoops that you've had to to go through to to get your kid the education and just the support and that she needs. Hopefully, um, especially since Polly's time when there was no Google, so there was, it was harder finding support. Hopefully, as time has gone on, things have got a little bit better, a little bit easier. When I think for active duty families specifically, they have the luxury of having the resources of TRICARE available to cover, you know, occupational therapy and physical therapy and speech language pathology intervention, as well as some of the other intervention that a lot of people with, you know, mainstream insurance, insurance will not cover any kind of that stuff like that. So they do have the luxury of that, but they, unfortunately, because they're always having to move, every time you move to a different state, you have to rewrite your IEP. And that takes up to 90 days. Right, depending on state law. That's crazy. You you would hope that regardless of civilian or military, that for, for kids, it would be, you know, there would be some exceptions to the rule kind of thing. Um, well, there sort of is, like in the... Buried an idea, it says that if you move to a new um, district or state, they have to, what's the word, implement your IEP as is within 30 days or immediately begin to evaluate. Mm-hmm. But last year, the U.S. Department of Education issued a guidance letter that said active duty kids were considered highly mobile students. And so they were therefore especially vulnerable. And it states that the expected evaluation period for an active duty child is 30 days, not 60. Okay. 
But that that like letter only came out because of hundreds of people complaining to the US DOE. They don't like to write this this kind of letter. And people have to make a lot of noise and complain a lot for them to decide to write one of these letters, a guidance letter. I think it's what it boils down to really is that uh, people, parents um, just have to complain a lot. Um, be persistent, be annoying in order to make sure that what their child needs um, to get through the education system um, is provided for them. Uh, That's what it boils down to is people taking things into their own hands, writing petitions, going to meetings and being loud. Well, if I could give anybody like three or four tips to close it out, Mm -hmm. my first tip would be make sure you make everything in writing. If it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. Yeah. If you think your kid has a problem, then ask for an evaluation for special ed. You have the right to have an evaluation once a year. My third tip would be to be a greasy wheel because the greasy <laughs> wheel gets services and accommodations and people that just sit there waiting for something to happen don't get services. I, I mean, I've gotten to the point where when I ask for stuff in IEP meetings, they just give it to me. They don't even ask. <laughs> Because they don't want to fight with me and they know that I'm just kind of like relentless and I'm not going to give up. And I guess my fourth tip would be that um, make sure whatever somebody tells you that they can verify it in writing. Like if a school is quoting you some policy, then ask them where that is in writing, make them send it to you. If they're quoting a state law, make them send it to you. Because a lot of times they quote this imaginary rule that does not exist. Oh, Hillary, that's terrible. Or they just misunderstood what the rule was. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, I can I can totally see from the, uh, the perspective of the school is telling the parent that this bylaw states whatever, whatever. So as a parent, nine times out of ten, you're going to be like, oh, okay, then, you know. Well, especially within right. the military community, right? Because yeah. the military does not, you know, challenge authority yes. or command. They assume that what somebody above them tells them is correct. And when yes. you're talking about the public school system, they should re- assume the reverse, that it's not correct. And that's really good advice, actually. Hillary, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. I feel that there is so much more information. Now, tell us your website and your Facebook page that people can go to to get more information if they need to. Uh, the Facebook page or the website is The Dyslexia Life. And then there's a Facebook group. There's actually several of them that you can get all directly off of the website. And then there's a Facebook page called The Dyslexia Life. So my niche is I help active duty kids specifically with dyslexia in public schools or DODEA, the Department of Defense Educational Authority. And that's the only kind of cases I take if I'm helping people because dyslexia itself is very niche down. Just one last time, Hillary, repeat your website and your Facebook page, because I I think this is really important for people to get this who may need some help and guidance. It's just the Dyslexia Life and the Facebook page is the same name. And you can send me a message on Facebook. I answer messages all the time from all over the world from people. And a lot of what they tell me is usually wrong. And I try to put them in the right direction. (laughs) So I'm happy to help anybody who wants to send me a message. Well, that is really good of you, Hillary. Again, thank you for being on the show. And um, I think at some point, you know, you're going to have to come back on again to do part two to see if anything has changed, any more laws have changed, just to keep people updated. That's true. Every year we try to sneak some more stuff in the NDAA. (laughs) 
Well, you have to. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Hillary. Thanks for listening to The Good Show. My name's Sarinda, and I am out. Thanks for listening to today's show. Press that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Leave me that review so we can get more pro-military folks involved with growing this platform. If you've got a story to tell and you want to be on the show, then go to my website, thegoodshow.com. That's G-O-O-D-E show.com. Press the contact button and drop me an email. My name's Sarinda. I'm your military gal, and I'm out. Thank you.